The topic of this video is wokeness, formerly known as political correctness, formerly known as being progressive, formerly known as decency. My suggestion is to modify the uh, well-known and widespread identitarian style of woke uh, towards an animist or relational um, woke. <laughs> and that should uh, amend some of the rather serious problems that uh, you find in contemporary wokeness. Woke is a slang term from uh, African Americans um, that has come to label this complex of insisting on respectful behavior towards sexual, cultural, racial, religious others. This uh, is sometimes named identity politics and it springs from a kind of scholarship that operates in an interface uh, with empowerment activism, queer, feminism, anti-racism, decolonialism. However, this super duper project has somehow devolved into this social media complex of basically trolling behaviors. And that's dangerous because it risks undermining the extremely important objectives. And this is of course also the reason why the label itself, woke, is almost today exclusively used by right-wingers. Uh, so perhaps I should have used another word than, you know, animist woke. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing is that you all know what I mean. And uh, yeah, you can call it something else if, if woke has become too undermined. The problems about contemporary woke are not just superficials. Uh, they are rooted in identitarianism. Now you can think of identitarianism with this metaphor here, jars of jam. It is this Euro-modernist way of making self-image through group ideology that defines a group in order to create compliance, most characteristically nationalisms, and there's a clear demarcation between these identities, and they're filled with stuff that has the same taste and essence of sorts, perhaps a race, a culture, a Nordic spirit, or a francité, a Frenchness, something like that. And if they mix, then it becomes this weird melee that messes up the taste and horror, a changed color. <laughs> this identitarian model is quite different from what you find among many pre-colonized indigenous groups, uh, where you can image the self-image a little bit more like this. In fact, imagine more than one web and they're intersecting with each other. Self-image as defined by multiple relations, for instance, to totemic kinship bonds. Importantly, identitarianisms can be very ethically legitimate. And uh, the, the, the thing is that if you are a minority and you're living inside one of these, then you can't go on working on that model. Because you are in a really hostile environment, uh, which is basically built to erase you into uniformity. And then what? Well, you don't really have much choice. Most identitarians do this, a small jar. They basically copy the model and create their own identitarianism in order to, to survive in here, some, somewhere, perhaps on the fringes or something like that. So, of course, it's not ethically sound to be criticizing that. This is a survival strategy. What do you think happens if I pour this blue liquid in here? Um, and worrying about that is not, cannot be reduced to some, you know, cultural Marxist, you know, obsessing about really irrelevant stuff. In the last one generation, that has happened uh, to about 50% of the world's languages. 
They'd been basically erased and obliterated by dominant identitarianisms. Here is England, here is the Cornish language, and oh, voila, 50%. This is a human ap apocalypse. So, as a Dane, for instance, I don't have any place schooling Greenland is about their identitarian nationalisms that they created to counter oppression from my people. But it is as urgently important to criticize the foundations of this model that created the problem in the first place. This is not the only model. You know, there are other possible state of affairs, models that we can use. You know? And the present uh, identitarian uh, trolling culture puts, I think, Eurodescendants in a bit of a pickle because we are the ones who have the oldest and evilest identitarianisms. And if Eurodescendants are not allowed to criticize the roots of this project, then who? We are exactly the ones who must be doing that. In fact, it's a historic duty that we cannot leave to others. You know, considering the havoc that Eurocentric identitarianisms has wrought, have wrought on the world, right? And that means that we also can't continue allowing these rather clueless woke identitarians to sabotage our criticism of what might perhaps be the single most destructive aspect of whiteness, identitarianism. We simply cannot. Because the, 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 the universalization of this model has some highly problematic effects, you know? When it becomes this general ideology, then woke identitarianism is just far too dependent on and structurally aligned with white identitarianism. So suggesting a relational woke begins with the criticism of the striking similarities uh, between woke identitarians and white identitarians, like alt-right, white race, and so on. Right. Hence the urgency of looking critical at that identitarian part of woke in order to basically stay anti-racist. Because if the last millennia of human history has escaped your attention, then let me be the one to tell you that white identitarianism or nationalism is not what the world needs. It does make a little bit of a difference that Euro-identitarian models sometimes fly a woke flag, but not enough of a difference. So we difference. So we need to look in the direction, I think, of uh, indigenous models, traditional knowledge, in order to construct a animist relational woke, yeah, if you want to call it woke. <laughs> um, so we need to draw, draw some lines in the sand, you know, when these hordes of identitarian trolls aggressively bassoon identitarianism on us. And if drawing lines in the sand means, you know, facing all these undergraduate Americans accusing me of my privileged blindness, then, you know, give it to me. I have not three non-white kids and standing idly by while this stupidity undermines anti-racism is fortunately not a privilege I have. You know? So to stay woke, we need to get relational and deal with identitarianism. An important principle is respect. The most foundational principle in animism, and with the aid of my favorite heathen anti-fascist motto weaver, uh, Kevin French, this important motto has been coined. It means, don't be a dick. <laughs> um, just actually practicing respect could go, go a rather long way. But we also need to address the deep problems. And that means shifting the focus somewhat away, somewhat away from these exclusive identitarianism towards more relational ways of thinking. From individual identity towards content, knowledge kind of 
perspective, from cultural essence towards exchange reciprocity, from symbolic power towards, I think, economic power, and from unambiguous, simplistic empowerment myths, hopefully towards greater intelligence and complexity. And I'll get back to all this. Uh, but first, we need to look a little bit more at the similarities between woke identitarianism and white identitarianism. Um, they both sanctify identity groups and segregation between them. There, there is harsh reactions when borders between, uh, between identity groups are transgressed. This is called mongrelization or sometimes cultural appropriation. Uh, relation and exchange between groups just makes identitarians flip both left and right. Sometimes woke and white identitarians just seem to use the same language. Uh, on the left, you have the cultural appropriation debates, a topic where, in my from my observation, somewhere around zero of the people ranting about it have the faintest understanding of what they're talking about. Even when the criticism is actually legitimate, which sometimes happens, it seems more of a lucky strike, really. Um, identitarians also have a tendency towards cultural colonialism through universalism. All human behavior or phenomena are kind of sub subjugated to the identitarian categories and thereby the ideological domination of the person expressing the, this ideology. I feel I see this every day. Some undergraduate anthropology students talk to someone from the other side of the planet and waving a woke identitarian banner forces these rather specifically Euro-American categories onto other cultures, but everything doesn't fall into identitarian categories. And insisting on that is a colonizing practice, which in fact, you know, produces this white man, man's burden notion of being called to manifest by manifest destiny to aggressively civilize the world with your universal truth that does not comply with this categories, you know, and it doesn't comply with um, a characteristically uh, colonizer aspect uh, of the appropriation accusation that I just mentioned is that these uh, accusations are regularly launched in ways that make the accusation itself into a vessel for actually cultural appropriation. Here's a right-wing example that I saw not so long ago. See how these completely hilarious boxer short wearing Viking boy band dudes how they're appropriating Maori culture by claiming that Maori appropriated it from them. Now, woke identitarians do exactly the same with appropriation criticism, and I'm not going to mention any examples uh, because it might blow the cancellation hysteria that I'm in for with this video, you know, completely out of proportion. If I change my mind, I might put a little video there with some a uh, couple of startlingly evident examples of how woke identitarians sometimes appropriate by making the appropriation accusation. Um, another important example of this identitarian uh, colonizing of human knowledge is marginalizing animism. If the thunder god Shango speaks to a white person, or if Odin speaks to a Moroccan person, then that's not Odin's business, which would be the animist position. No, that is a, an identitarian ownership issue, because Odin doesn't belong to himself like everything else in the world. He belongs exclusively to identitarianism. <laughs> you know, um, Identitarians always 
both on the left and on the, on the right, built on monolithic reductionisms. Both woke and white identitarians need people to represent, so they always pose these silent populations. And they always look a little bit like that. This, this look like a uniform mass in here um, is very much not that. And guess what? The identitarian is the voice of all that. Making yourself a spokesperson for the entirety of your descendants reduced to a white race or the entirety of people who experienced uh, colonization when you think of it, you know. Uh, um, cool. Historical revisionism is also typical of identitarianism. Uh, the past is not allowed to be this messy, complex, you know, contradiction-ridden thing, but it needs to comply one-to-one -one with our ideal, bright-eyed epigons of our little identitarian definition of rightness, right? So if you're a white identitarian, like a Nazi or something, then everybody in the past were blue-eyed, athletic photo models, you know, for some weird reason, always standing in cornfields. If you're a woke identitarian, then every single pre-colonial society was a total queer empowerment safe space. It probably wasn't like that, you know? Different, uh, different gender categories is not the same as uh, contemporary queer empowerment. You also see lynch mob behaviors, trolling aggression, very characteristic of both uh, white and woke identitarians. On the left wing, you have the so-called cancel culture, which regularly uh, uh, follows school book examples of witch hunt behaviors to the letter. Um, there is also a sense, a social pro profile to aggressive identitarians. And that is marginalization, social marginalization. Often they're not people who have dynamic careers and certainly not scholarly insight in what they're talking about. Identitarianism has a huge tendency to lend its myths and concepts to psychiatric situations. And I see this tendency both among woke identitarians and right-wing identitarians abstract situations like power structures or feminized culture or completely imaginary figurations like conspiracies are made into explanations of why I'm not successful in what I do. And it's important to remember that these abstractions have different levels of legitimacy. White privilege is a more legitimate narrative than the conspiracy of Zionist space lizards, right? But when it becomes a myth, a narrative that you relate directly to the world through, then there are similarities in the way that these narratives risk formulating and upholding shit that you should basically uh, be looking at in other ways. Um, a part of this profile is probably youth, I think. I totally see vocal identitarianism as dominated by fairly inexperienced people. Uh, and this is kind of a modernist antithesis to this indigenous valorization of seniority, elderhood, wisdom. And uh, this is also followed by uh, a problematic uh, situation that, you know, the wisest people don't have much of a culture, voice in the political culture of our time. Often it seems to be defined by the most aggressively loud people because that is not the wisest people. If you're a little bit wiser, you just shut up. You know, I'm not even on that level. And if you're a bit, bit wiser still, you don't even have an online presence because you're an actual elder and you don't know what TikTok is, right? These similarities between 
woke identitarians and white nationalist identitarians are not just a speculative thing that a speculative thing that I'm sort of theorizing. I totally see it as an active social interface where, for instance, alt-right extremists use woke language to make their points, suddenly talking about Eurocentrism or cultural appropriation. They use that one a lot because it's so um, explicitly segregationist. Or you have woke uh, parading persons who will suddenly use the term mongrelization, a term which pretty much betrays that their position is not completely out of continuity with the fact that their grandparents were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, identitarian trolls on incognito profiles sometimes overlook that they're supposed to be mortal enemies. That happens, well, because identitarian ideologies are identitarian and they have, they're quite aligned in some ways. I know a guy who um, seems very trustworthy, he claims that he got cancelled by woke identitarians because he spoke out against white identitarians. They just spit some identitarian language at him for being mongrel and cultural impure and stuff like that. Wokeans picked up the attack and carried it through. Wokes and Nazis just all getting along. One happy identitarian family cancelling someone together. (laughs) Um, Then there's radicalism. Radicalism springs from the fact that there are some things that are indisputable imperatives, like a transsexual Inuit person should have the same access to become a president as an older white male millionaire. I actually think most people would agree with that statement. But structural power symmetries mean that we haven't reached that point. Hence, we need to continue pushing and insisting that it is not okay when that situation has not been attained. The problem is that this imperative nature of foundational ideas sort of flows in all directions. And that creates this debate situation where it's extremely difficult to modify or contradict anything that is pronounced under a woke identitarian banner. Um, If, for instance, someone says, this is racist, then it can be very difficult to say, well, actually, I disagree with that. I don't think it's racist because then you're perceived as compromising the foundational imperative, which might totally not be neither your objective nor the result of what you're doing. And you can be, you know, stamped as a racist yourself for basically trying to think like that. This side effect of radicalism is what I sometimes call stupidity. <laughs> and I think stupidity is a really serious problem, which we tend to misunderstand. Stupidity is not just absence of information or of uh, analytical capacity. Stupidity is an active knowledge processes, I think, that disrupts people's capacity to analyze and understand and relate to things in their complexity. For instance, by reductionism, uh, reducing stuff to unsustainably uh, simplistic ideas. Uh, Now, in here, stupidity is not that big of a problem. Perhaps it's even an advantage from the perspective of some people, as long as people fall into rank, right? But there, you need to handle complexity. Hence, animist and indigenous respect, valorizing wisdom and elderhood and so on. Now, in forums online that are dominated by woke identitarians, there isn't much debate, yarning, dialogue, more just like these bombastic proclamations. Nobody can really modify or add complexity, only condemn. It is as if even the slightest disagreement is, isn't really possi- possible. And that is a stupidity process. 
And it means that to a large extent, people just shut up in there because they know that also that the woke identitarian language has these very fluid rubber concepts, for lack of a better word. These rubber concepts come from the need to gorge oppressive structures that can be difficult to see, particularly if you're a beneficiary of of these oppressive structures. But it requires a very steady hand when it's being handled. Because as soon as you move away from surface meanings, then things just tend to go weird. Almost anything can mean almost anything. And that makes your thinking vulnerable to start generating stupidity. Has anybody ever tried to define how we can actually pinpoint a microaggression? No. The accusation is universal. It can be targeted at anything. If a person gives you a hug, you can call it microaggression if you feel a little bit bad inside at that moment. You know, These rubber concepts often enable people to escape critical questioning. And that creates this short-circuited thinking uh, where you can't challenge ideas. And this is totally a breeding ground for stupidity processes to really flourish. These uh, rubber concepts can erode thinking and they can close down dialogue. And these practices just make people's intelligence sink like a stone through water. It's so tragic to witness. Here's an example that you might recognize. uh, An exchange that focuses away from surface meaning. I'm not racist. Well, you saying that just proves that you are racist because it denies the structural power symmetries that we're all inscribed in. Well, that's a valid point in itself, often. What? I I don't think in racist ways about people, you know. I'm I'm actually super attracted to Asian women, for instance. My ex-girlfriend was. You see? That's super racist. This reinvents the misogynist orientalizing stereotype of Asian women as submissive, servile, and sexually available to the white masculine eye. Oh, okay. Oh, well, um, well I'm actually also super attracted to, to uh, Eurodescendant women. Well, that's mega racist because you are thereby perpetuating beauty norms constructed to support the white supremacist system of domination. Well, you know what I'm, what I'm actually trying to say is that I think that it's actually really a quite individual personality thing that defines who I'm, I'm actually attracted to. Well, that's super racist, as you are thereby occluding how racism is inherent to sexuality, thereby projecting yourself into this white savior universalism that has historically served to oppress people of color. You know, when, when faced with this kind of logic, I actually think it's quite understandable that many people go, well, fuck you. This conversation obviously completely occludes my voice because your high education privilege enables you to spin these bullshit concepts all around me so that every imaginable utterance just serves your own little confirmation bias about what I am, thereby completely marginalizing my right to define myself. Now, the the woke statements that I just used in this example may have legitimacy in specific situations, But this is just an example of how this language can be abused um, from someone who doesn't operate from the basis of respect and intelligence. Respect would demand that you listen to a person expressing their experience as a non-binary indigenous person and that you don't just trample all over people's experience. I actually think that this is a rather important value that woke identitarianism has made important, brought into our culture or consolidated in our culture. 
And that should also include preventing woke thinking itself to be abused in the same way and overruling like people like in this example, you know. Right. We are now at the place in this video that you'll be linked into if you went out railing against me for being white without engaging one word or one reflection that I've presented. My response to you is the following. Yes, who you are is important. But if you link respect with intelligence, then you will discover something amazing and beautiful. And that is that humans talk about stuff. There is content in conversation. Isn't it amazing? Even wisdom to be found. It is not just identitarian jars, you know, banging their identitarianism at each other, you know, where you cannot know my experience and I cannot know yours in unrelatedness elevated into a cosmic condition. There is also connectedness. You know? The background is for this thinking is a long and analytical discussion about subject position. Basically, who you are defines the meaning of what you say or influences it and also your right to say it. I have a privileged right to talk about the Danish experience. So this is why you often see woke identitarians project who they are as a non-binary indigenous person, blah, 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 blah. Now the problem is that though who you are, subject position, is indeed important, um, the exclusive focus become, becomes the shadow boxing about the who, where people stop talking about anything besides who is the most marginal and hence has the superior voice and the right to kick the other voice into silence. Zero content in conversations, only these identitarian identities banging identitarian identity at each other. An intensely stupidity-generating uh, stupidity process, where a relational woke uh, position would shift focus towards dialoguing and reciprocal learning, I think. This over-focus on subject positioning is the reason that some of you didn't bother to follow my reflection, but rested exclusively on who I am. A white, majority, middle class, high education, cisgendered, hetero, male, the defining identitarian other to woke identitarianism. That other whose stereotype image serves to uphold these borders here. That's what an image of other does. So this is a bit of a test. Are you able to peek out of the stupidity circuits enough to engage the content of what I'm saying? Or are you just too immersed in identitarian othering? A bit like an SS officer listening to ideological advice from a rabbi. You're listening to the voice of the defining identitarian other that should be silenced. You might react with anger. That's a very characteristic identitarian strategy of domination and silencing. There is also connectedness. You know? But in the theory of subject positioning, this way of thinking is actually old news. In feudal France, a noble man, for instance, could say stuff like, My name is blah 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 depuis le bleu, depuis le bleu, depuis le bleu, depuis le bleu. My noble pedigree goes back centuries. I am the Vicomte de blah 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 blah, and then four lines of titles, right? And you will now uh, observe a very particular protocol when you're talking to me. You refer to me as His Excellency and you'll use specific plural uh, pronouns when 
talking about me or talking to me, typically plural. Um, and on the basis of this inflated subjectivity, how dare you, a lowly commoner, even raise your voice in my noble presence? This is social order weaponized to deprive someone of a voice. And I'm not sure if Michel Foucault would turn in his grave or indeed smile knowingly if he could see all the woke identitarians today who are going stuff like, my indigenous pedigree goes back centuries and there are four lines of names and, and uh, my agenda uh, is the letter number 17 in the acronym that used to be LGBT and uh, hence you need to observe a very particular protocol when talking to me as a two-spirited person, uh, uh, specific pronouns, typically plural, and on the basis of this inflated subjectivity, how dare you, a white heterosexual male, even raise your voice in my elevated presence? I'm not criticizing gender, plural, pronouns, and all that, by the way. In fact, I think this example illustrates cultural precedence. It's not really that weird to use plural, plural in many of our language, like French, you know, we actually do it in polite forms already. There's a respect protocol towards someone. But be careful with this tendency to weaponize subjectivity into silencing. Then what you get is these uh, contentless stupidity generating uh, d uh, debate uh, environment. Another important point that woke and white identitarians share is fragility cult. Uh, identitarianism, for some reason, always valorize and enshrine their victimhoods. And sometimes these victimizations are real and they should be acknowledged and their effects dealt with. Sometimes it's just bullshit, like the white identitarian idea of a white genocide. You know. This fragility causes strong reaction, and part of the foundation for the anger reactions that you often see. Uh, on the left, you have these, this trigger warning thing, where the sight of something other makes people completely hysteric about their traumas and all that stuff. On the right, it's kind of same but different. You can walk up to these big Viking identifying dudes with their beards and their big muscles and their big self-image and their big everything, you know, and you say the word Islam and they react like hysteric four-year-olds. You know, for some reason, identitarianisms tend to grow these fragilities. What? One of the great grotesqueries of our age, Donald Trump rightly diagnosed, we are snowflakes. And if you doubt me, then check any anthropological literature on indigenous initiation rites. That kind of thing is made to mold your subjectivity from infantile to adult state, away from this overtouchy four-year-oldish near hysteria thing. This infantile fragility is an aspect of identitarianism that is extremely anti-animist. I have a friend. This um. Chinese anthropology student who's called Natalia Li, who is a part of something called the Church of Pain. And uh, this is her enacting the self-hanging of Odin in contemporary suspension hooks. I think more of us should do like Natalia. Einar Selvig once uh, said in some interview that he tried to understand the rune Nauth by meditating on it naked in a Norwegian winter river. Yes! That's the kind of stuff that's prescribed in animist mythologies. A Nordic example is the Hindulyud, where a male initiant named Atta is flogged and disbased and humiliated by these two goddess figures, one bad and one evil, and his subject is being transgressed and molded into relatedness. The goddesses deride Atta throughout the lay and they name him stupid with the Old Norse word heimskar, meaning 
home-ish, literally. Notice how the word for stupidity uh, denotes enclosedness, unrelation, zero interaction with other. Homish literally means stupidity in Old Norse. There's still a cognate word actually in Danish, uh, possibly in other Nordic land languages, home-fed. A person exclusively fed in the home, who has never shared food, exchanged, related with other, is a simpleton. It means a simpleton. So in this moment of initiation, this dominatrix kind of goddess, she tells Ottar, Eleven Aesir stood when Baldur fell. These are your kin, Ottar. This animist unsnowflaking inscribes Ottar in relatedness. And as he steps out of the infantile state of being home-ish and into relatedness, the fall of Baldur, the cosmic rupture, unrelatedness is healed. That is animist non-identitarian wisdom. Please, in an animist book, I really think that check your fragility would take up some of the meaning of grow the fuck up, you know, out of infantile state. An important aspect of animist book should, I think, also be uh, materialism. Focus on exchange, material exchanges, which means looking at economy, for instance, perhaps thinking with parts of Marxism or some of these rather functional ways of that traditional life forms, extended families, co-ops, and so on, have, have of dealing with power and value. The identitarian focus tend to occlude, occlude value and power. Woke identitarians, for instance, they talk a lot about power symmetry, but they don't talk a lot about the important power symmetries. Um, and they are economic power symmetries. For instance, the global north, global south economic power symmetry. It's weird. That ought to be totally woke. It's super post-colonial. It's white on people of color. Why do people identitarian, woke identitarians talk so relatively little about it? Now, the reason is exactly the same that white identitarians don't talk about white privilege or that Turkish nationalists don't want to talk about the Armenian genocide. Victimhood just has this weird importance in identitarianism. And again, some victimhoods are more legitimate than other. But talking about economic north-south power symmetry would most often place the woke identitarian in the privileged end of the power symmetry. So it challenges the identitarian craving for this victimhood narrative. And on the whole, I buy the woke identitarian victimhoods much more than I buy the, the white identitarian victimhoods, but they are sometimes used in quite similar ways to aggressively occlude some of the most important power symmetries of our age. Economic disparity is extreme in our age. Where is the talk of that? Or climate anxiety, when, dig this, when climate anxiety is written off as a white privilege concern, like what? You know, try to tell that to the good people living south of the Sahel Belt in Africa, where the climate change, you know, will create cataclysmic disruptions very soon, occluding these massive human catastrophes is deeply ethically bankrupt. Uh, also, uh, by the way, I think this is a case of a characteristic similarity or, or where we can compare white identitarians and woke identitarians. Questioning climate change compromises the mythology of threats and victimhood that's envisioned in the identitarian narrative. And this is why right-wingers are climate denialists. And uh, it's also uh, the reason that some woke identitarians 
um, tend to ignore economic disparity and uh, call uh, cli climate fear a white privilege thing. People could go and find out that the most serious problem perhaps isn't the evil Muslim immigrants or even the evil patriarchalists. The most serious problem is perhaps the end of the fucking world, right? And I think uh, relational work should bring a bit of a reality check into uh, this by focusing on exchanges and um, economic asymmetries and uh, bring the quest for equality out of these globalized, privileged, urban hipster settings and hopefully into a context where the people of Burkina Faso should also have a bit of a voice, you know. So let's develop relational woke in order to stay woke, respect, you know, don't be a dick, move focus from identitarianism towards relationalism, check your multiple narcissist fragilities, remember intelligence, complexity, and remember material value and reciprocity. All the power to all the relations. See you around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.